What just happened? I asked a fourth grade student one Friday afternoon. I made a mistake, she said, looking down at her hands, still resting on the keys. What is a mistake? I posed, curious as to how she might answer. She thought for a moment and then said, It's when you do something wrong. We talked about that for a minute, how sometimes mistakes happen innocently. Sometimes a mistake is a way of getting our attention. A way for the body to say to the brain, Wait, I don't really know this yet. For the rest of the lesson, we listened for mistakes and inherent learning opportunities. We talked about insecure fingers, uncertain rhythms, and risky leaps. We talked about how to practice and prepare these things, how to develop confidence, and how to be an observer during practicing at home. This is the work of actively reframing how we see and respond to mistakes. Earlier this year, I read The Perfect Wrong Note, Learning to Trust Your Musical Self by prize-winning pianist and pedagogue William Westney. I mentioned it back in episode 55 as I was reading it. I enjoyed it so much that I made it our Musician and Company book club pick for this quarter, and I just published a book review where I shared four practical insights for musicians and teachers and a few of my favorite quotes. I'll include a link where you can get access to that in the show notes. As I read this book, I found myself bringing some of these concepts into my studio to study and evaluate them in practice. Every few days, I had a new question I wanted to pose, a new response I wanted to incorporate into my language, or a new strategy I wanted to experiment with. In this episode, I want to share some of these practical takeaways, how I'm integrating some of the ideas from Westney's book into my teaching, the questions I'm asking my students these days, and a reflection on how we approach mistakes in the music teaching and learning process. I'm Ashley Danu, and you're listening to Field Notes on Music Teaching and Learning. Writing field notes is a way of documenting and processing what we see in the world. This podcast is a collection of creative ideas, practical strategies, and thoughtful observations from the field of music teaching and learning. Here, you'll find creative and pedagogically sound teaching tips, fresh new approaches you can use in your teaching, and insight into a few tried-and-true systems and creative processes designed to help you do your best work. Let's get started. The first idea I want to share from William Westney's book is rethinking warm-ups. Do you start your practice sessions with warm-ups? Do you start every lesson with a warm-up or a technique exercise? Westney advocates for something a bit more casual. He described, Just as athletes warm up their bodies before an event, musicians need a good leisurely, getting reacquainted with the instrument warm-up before attempting any sort of measurable result, such as a scale, arpeggio, or specific exercise, end quote. This can be things like playing long tones, dropping into a key and bobbing with each finger, or even improvising. One small shift I'm making on some of my assignment sheets is to change the heading from warm-ups to technique. This way, it's not assumed that the student should start with these exercises. I also demonstrate that their practice sessions can look different each day, 
by mixing up the order of activities in our lessons. Sometimes we start with an easy review piece, sometimes with sight reading, other times with an improv activity or getting reacquainted with the instrument warm-up. Dr. Gilles Camot of the Music and Health Research Institute at the University of Ottawa has conducted research on this as well. He recommends starting a lesson or practice session with technically easy activities. In other words, not scales, arpeggios, or other athletic exercises. Instead, use scales and other technique exercises in the middle of the lesson or practice session once the student is warmed up. What could this look like in your studio? The second new idea or concept that I took away from Westney's book was the problem with the fourth finger. I loved Westney's quote about this. Given the choice, the fourth finger would usually rather not play the piano. I have shared this with most of my students now, and it always brings a smile to their faces, especially if we have just encountered a moment like this in one of their pieces. We've also done the exercise he described that highlights the fourth finger's dependency on fingers three and five. I knew this prior to reading the book, but had forgotten about this particular exercise. It's such a great, tangible example for students. Wesney describes it like this. Rest your hand on a table. Open the hand and straighten out the fingers. Place all the fingertips, the fleshy part, on the tabletop. Fold the third finger under so that the entire second joint is placed flat on the table. Keeping the hand still, try to lift fingers one, two, four, and five in turn. Three of them will lift easily, but the fourth finger feels paralyzed. Now try the same experiment folding only the fifth finger under. End quote. When the fourth finger has a critical moment, a key melodic feature, starting a phrase, or being part of a leap. I ask my students, how can you prepare for this moment and give the fourth finger a boost of confidence? If it's part of a scale line, I ask, how can you use the third or fifth finger to prepare and support the fourth finger? We're becoming more aware of it for performance purposes and more intentional about it in our preparation of a new piece. For non-pianists, is there something like this that you encounter on your instrument that you want to make sure students are mindful of in their practicing? The third idea is practicing opposites. I mentioned this briefly in the last episode. It seems counterintuitive to practice something the opposite of how it's actually written, but Wesney indicates that this can be a powerful practice strategy for securing fingering, maintaining evenness, and controlling dynamics, among other things. He wrote, If the music is slow, practice it fast, with a certain recklessness. If it calls for great evenness, make it enthusiastically uneven and vary the patterns. End quote. We've been using this for scales, Alberti bass patterns, dotted rhythms, zigzag patterns, sequences, and more. How could you use this strategy in your teaching this week? The fourth idea is creative interpretation. I loved Westney's idea of involving the student in the creative interpretation of a piece. He described, Ask the student to brainstorm three different approaches to the two phrases, each with a contrasting pair of personalities. 
See if the student can make you guess correctly what contrasts were intended. Dreamy and insistent. Lamenting and echoing. Seductive and shy, for example. End quote. I asked one of my high school students to do this recently with Schumann's Of Foreign Lands and People, Opus 15, number 1. It immediately gave her a greater sense of ownership in the piece and more personal investment in how she wanted to play each phrase. What opportunities will you have this week to invite students to participate in the creative interpretation of a piece? The fifth idea is the concept of performance spending. As we approach recital season, I plan to introduce this concept to my students. Westney explained, Think of technical achievement as a sort of bank account. Each performance spends some money out of the account, and constructive maintenance work puts deposits back in. End quote. I think this will help students better understand the investment required to achieve musical mastery and performance success and maintain it in the weeks leading up to the recital. How do you help students prepare for a confident performance without peaking too soon? To recap, here are those five ideas once more. Number one, rethinking warm-ups. The idea of starting each lesson and practice session with a gentle reintroduction to your instrument. Number two, the problem with the fourth finger the physical challenges inherent with this finger and how we can work to prepare and strengthen it. Number three, practicing opposites. The surprising strategy that may yield the greatest results in your practicing. Number four, creative interpretation. Ways to invite your students into the process. And number five, performance spending a great visual for understanding the relationship between performance and constructive maintenance. Have you read William Westney's book? If so, I would love to hear what you think of these concepts and how this informs your teaching. Also, if you're interested in more books like this, you might enjoy the Musician & Company Book Club. It's free to join. Each quarter, we read a book about running your own business, the creative process, entrepreneurship, music teaching, or being a musician. When you sign up, you'll be the first to know about our book picks each quarter, get reading plans and reflective questions, book reviews, and other reading-related news. Our next book club pick will be announced on July 1st. I will include a sign-up link in the show notes if you'd like to join us. Thanks so much for listening today. For written notes, related links, and more information on today's topic, visit ashleydanew.com fieldnotes. You can find me on Instagram at ashleydanew. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much if you'd subscribe and leave a review in Apple Podcasts. This will help others discover this content in the future. Plus, I'd love to hear what you like about the show and if there's anything specific you'd like to hear in the future. Again, thanks so much for tuning in today. See you next time.